afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman. You're back on Equal Footing. Back in studio. So nice to be back. Been traveling for about a month. Sound quality's better. Back in the craziness of New York. Appropriate that our first show back is mental health related. We have a guest that's been on before talking about bearing the hatchet of ending vicious, toxic relationship patterns with our parents, siblings, family members that we love and we've had issues with. We're going a little deeper into Rabbi Barz's experience and expertise because Rabbi Barz is also a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're talking about how the relationships that we have as children with our parents affect our ability to love, affect our attachment styles. You've probably heard that word later in life. Let me introduce Rabbi Bars first, or reintroduce Rabbi Bars. He has spoken all over the world, from the United States Senate to the Los Angeles Improv. He's a regular speaker at the Fortune Magazine Summits. He's the author of many books, including Bliss, the Marriage and Parenting Book, and The Worst Marriage Advice in the World. (laughs) Love that. Rabbi Bars is also the creator of the highly popular motivational seminar, Think Like a Winner. He and his wife, Ruth, are blessed with seven children. He is known for imparting important ideas with creativity and humor. You can check out his websites getbliss.com and core9, that's a number nine, core9.live. Rabbi Stephen Bars has been a preeminent educator and marriage counselor for more than 20 years. He's known for his, his expertise in marriage and parenting, the nexus between Jewish life and the mental health training that that takes. He's successfully counseled hundreds of couples and uh, we're really blessed to have him on the show again. Rabbi Stephen Bars, welcome back to Equal Footing. Fantastic to be here, Dov. You have a great show. I'm very, very much looking forward to the subject tonight. Very interesting. You pick I, great topics. I'm a little nervous I'm about little tonight, nervous about Rabbi, tonight because Rabbi, because I think that as I, I went through the went through pregame research pre-game. around attachment styles, I I started to self-diagnose in kind of the way I was brought up and how it's affect my ability to love and attach romantically as an adult. Um, I'm, be, I'm not going to get a free therapy sec- session from you, Rabbi, but I, I may open up a little bit, see what you think about my uh, my own personal experience and perhaps pathologies. 
Rabbi, start us Rabbi, off start us by off. explaining when you hear attachment styles, what, what are these attachment styles that we talk about often discussed in terms of four main categories and where do they, where do they come from academically? Well, that's, that's a fantastic theme, fantastic question. People, um, you know, human beings are, are social beings. We're born, we're created, I should say, in a womb. You know, we don't pop off trees like oranges. So we're built for connectivity. And if it's lacking, we will, we will just attach to something. And it could be as, 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 you know, like an animal. Or it could be a person, and it could be not a healthy person. So we have these mainstay of of attachments throughout our lives, and we, you know, as uh, Harville Hendricks points out, we have um, immutable children have immutable needs. We all have really immutable needs, but as children. If they're not being met, they don't know how to feel them. As an adult, we can n- navigate that that problem. But if they don't get met, they plague us for the rest of our lives. And they can greatly impact. And he, what he points out is a phenomenal idea, is that people enter marriage with this unspoken, even unarticulated, even conceptually, this uh, this agenda that my need that was never been met since I was six years old is going to be met in this relationship and it's a disaster <laughs> as you can imagine yeah there, there's these, yeah, there's, these there's two these, academics and I apologize to listeners for the echo I know we're getting a little bit of an echo here on the line hopefully we'll figure that out but the, the psychiatrist John Bowlby, psychologist Mary Ainsworth who worked very closely with the with John Bowlby in the I think it was in the 1950s came up with this idea, right, Rabbi, that the way that we interact with our parents or parent figures, it could be a grandparent or someone else raising you as a child, leaves this indelible imprint. And yes, we can change it as life goes, but often it affects us throughout our entire lives in terms of the way that we love and attach. And and there are these different categories that they list. Uh, that they list. There's the, you know, the anxious uh attachment style, there's an avoidant uh, attachment style, there's what they call, often called disorganized attachment style, and then there's the one that sounds good, the secure style. So can you can you give us a sense, and I'm sure we'll challenge a little bit of the social psychology involved in this approach of, of attachment theory, but what, what are these four main styles? Rabbi, are you there? Maybe we lost... Rabbi Bars. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was on, sorry. I was on mute. I'm just talking to, I'm talking to my phone. That's my attachment at the moment. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so, so they have this theory, and um, it, it explains a lot. I don't necessarily buy into this concept. Um, I, I think it's coming from a, a deficiency that people. Um, who aren't raised in a healthy environment. And, and unfortunately today, it's wide, very widespread that people come from from um, some sort of abusive relationship. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense like um, in extreme senses, but people have, have 
they're, they're, everyone's got something, you know, it's, it's sort of the standard joke to blame your mother. And unfortunately, mothers get a lot of the blame here. And I think it's un, unfair. But um, everyone's walking around with some sort of resentment from an unhealthy or what they perceive as an unhealthy you know, growth experience. And, um, um, and, and so they've, they've identified these different places where, where, where they, um, they get this, this attachment. But um, I, I think the whole attitude is, is not going to be helpful for people to you know, figure themselves out. And, uh, you know, if you're always living in the past, I wrote a book on this, win. If people are living in the past and thinking that they can change the past and enjoy the present, they're, 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 they're swimming upstream. It's not going to help them. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, difficult I, I when you read about these about different styles to, to avoid uh, putting yourself in one of these boxes. I mean, I was reading, for example, about the anxious uh, attachment style, which is this one of like neediness, right? Where you're, uh, it's posited that a, as a, as a small child, um, you, you're, you're not, you're not getting what you need from your, your parents is like a clinginess or per- perhaps your parents are being too clingy as it were when you're, when you're, when you're being raised kind of smothering you. And then you, you, you constantly are, are, um, anxious about, um, being abandoned, about not having, um, intimacy and not being held. And then, you know, I thought, Oh gosh, I can, I can identify with part of that. And then I read about another unhealthy attachment style of avoidance of kind of the opposite of, you know, if you feel like emotion with often they call it these days, emotionally unavailable, um, where you think, Oh, you know what? I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be let down. I'm going to be betrayed in relationships. I'm not going to get what I need. So I'm not going to, you know, therefore invest myself in a relationship. And there's another often, I understand you're kind of criticizing the theory, but this is one of these, you know, part of the theory that there's, that there's this avoidance down. I thought, gosh, well, that's me too. <laughs> and so it's, it's like, it's really easy to fall into the, uh, you know, classifying that way. And I love how Rabbi, you, in your work, you, you, you start with kind of the, the, the positive. And, and so in, in, an attachment style theory that might be called secure or, or stable you know, attachment style. What, what, what is that? Like, what would you say, listeners, if they're if they're sitting there thinking about their marriage, about their their dating life or past experiences? What is a healthy romantic or love attachment style as an adult, in your view? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Uh, let me t- tell you a story. It's a, it's a, this is someone I was helping, and she came into sit down and tell me what was going on. And it starts, she starts off with the drama, the, which is no small thing. She just found out her husband's having an affair. Okay, you know, but when you dig down, as a good therapist has to, it's never that simple, especially wherever it is the person is presenting as the, as the issue. I'm giving you some if you guys want to go into therapy, so it's some sort of the tricks of the trade here. Right? What really happened? What really happened? As a young girl, she had been raped. And obviously, this was a tremendous trauma that she was carrying with her for the rest of her life. Right. And she never dealt with that. So what did she do? How did she deal with that? She married somebody who was emotionally unavailable 
Right? This is who he was. And she specifically wanted to marry this guy because he really didn't care about her in a deep way. He didn't care about anyone, really. And he, she was fine. He was fine living with her in the house, in a so-called home. They had children, but they were detached from each other. And, of course, eventually... And this is Rabbi because she was afraid, she was afraid of real intimacy? Of, 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 yes, exactly. Go on. Of the relationship, right? So once she started to realize that, yes, he did a terrible thing, there's no question about that. But really, she had a play in this role. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't it, you know, and then if she didn't deal with it, she's going to go on to have more relationships like that. When you look at your marriage and realize that this person you're dealing with and all the problems that you have with this person are really coming to help you deal with your problems, they're not baggage that you have to deal with but real uh, tools to help you find who you really are, then you're living in the present, then you're real, then it's meaningful. And, and, and if you walk through it, what you're going to find is that you create yourself through this marriage. And not only do you have a meaningful experience in that, you know, through that process, but the marriage is going to be a meaningful place for you. People go into marriage... Like, it's sort of like a, a car. You know, it's not working now. Get a new model. This might work. That might work. And it constantly changing in the parts. And maybe if I add another, another heater or the chairs or whatever, it's going to make it a better experience. It, that's not marriage at all. Marriage is a gift. It's an incredible experience. Very evolutionary. It's hard to imagine. But it's, it fills us up. And if you look at the history of humanity, Humanity only became civilized when they took marriage seriously. Cultures that don't have serious marriages don't change, don't grow. Rabbi, I really appreciate the way that you approach your work and focusing on the positive, even the difficult uh, relationships, the, the people that cross our paths that kind of trigger past toxic relationship behaviors uh, that put us in the role of a, of a persecutor or a victim, you, those relationships can can also lead us to a, gra- a higher and greater place if there's awareness and living in the present. And that's a, that's a great message. We're going to take our first break. I want to come back with Rabbi Stephen Bars. We're talking about attachment styles and how the way that we relate to our parents as children affects the way we love and attach as adults. I'm sure you've heard of these styles before, anxious, avoidant disorganized, secure. Is there an internal logic to all of this? Participate in this conversation. Tell us about how you think your childhood relationship with your parents has affected the way you love and attach as an adult. You can participate live. Yeah, we're on live radio. 718-303-9090. That's the number to call in. 718-303-9090. Sensitive subject. You don't have to say your name. You can do so anonymously. If you want to be even more anonymous or you're shy about being on the air, you can text or you can SMS or WhatsApp in a question or comment to Rabbi Stephen Bars, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a rabbi to 917-428-4062. Don't call that number. That's just for texting or WhatsApping 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back. Cause I'm heartless 
Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. You know, we're not afraid on Equal Footing to talk about sensitive subjects and relationship issues, and one of those is erectile dysfunction. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It affects around two-thirds of men at some point in their lifetimes. There is help out there. It's not as simple as popping one of those expensive blue pills. There are enduring remedies that can be addressed by people who care. Manhattan Medical. You don't have to be in Manhattan or even the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a free teleconsult on their ED therapy. If you mentioned you heard about it on the Equal Footing radio show. How is Manhattan Medical different? Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy called Gaines Wave. It's been around in Europe and Canada for some time, recently introduced to the United States. It achieves enduring and excellent results with almost all patients. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. You don't have to worry about comorbidities. Anybody, there are no side effects. Anybody can use Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. Any men, that is. Call 888 888- ED Cure 9 for Manhattan Medical's ED treatment. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. You can, the numbers, that's 888-332-8739. 888-332-8739. If you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's erectile dysfunction treatment on equal footing, you will get a free teleconsult. But you have to say this is where you heard of it. And that's a $250 value. So call now. Operators are standing by. That's 888-332-8739. I've been Rabbi Vars, we're talking about attachment styles and relationships and what leads to those styles. I think there are probably listeners right now are thinking about how that uh, appears and reappears in their own life, attaching to someone who's not emotionally available, being avoidant and aloof from someone that in retrospect you look back on you th- and you realize how much they loved you and how much a, re- a wonderful relationship it could have been. And we repeat these behaviors. And you're not crazy or broken if you're repeating these behaviors. There's there's a word for that, right, Rabbi? This repetition compulsion. Can you help listeners understand why we do that? What is this repetition compulsion thing that we do? I think you might be on mute again, Rabbi. Sorry, sorry, just talking to my phone. I, <laughs> I, I talk to a brick wall. So, um, which is very apropos to what we're talking about. You know, how you're raised, the style in which you're raised, is, is that there's a training that goes on. And um, your parents, the way they behaved, and how they dealt with, dealt with situations. So we're, we're comfortable, if that's what you're used to doing, you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't seem to be able to think. It's obvious when we see it in other people, but we can't think outside our own realities that this is not getting you the results, the results you want. It's not an easy thing to get out of. Yeah, it's always easy um, to, always to see it in uh, someone else, right? Someone else, right? <laughs> what, that, that famous yeah. psychological yeah. example of attribution yeah. disorder. Yeah. I watch you I walking watch down the street, you trip, the street, you trip, and trip. I say, oh, Rabbi Bars wasn't oh, Rabbi looking, Bars where was looking where he was going. I walk down the street, I, and I, street and I trip, 
And I think, who put that banana peel there? <laughs> so it's easy to see that, that pathological behavior in others, but we just repeat and repeat and repeat toxic patterns. Right, right. Right. And we all do it. It's, that's, but, you know, whether they're toxic or they're healthy, um, it, it's, you know, the, the Torah gives a, a great example of that. And, and, and everybody reads it and goes, well, how could you do that? But there's a great example. Moses hit the rock twice, even though he was told him the second time to speak to the rock. So why did he hit it? Because that, you know, I, that, that's the behavior I'm used to. You know, human beings are built that way. We repeat things. We call it a habit. I don't know if that's a, a, an accurate way of describing it. We think in terms of that's how we behave. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you, brought up, glad you brought up the – Brad, you made a reference to Torah because we picked this topic this week around attachment styles and often family dysfunction, frankly – partly inspired by where we are in, in Genesis and the, 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 the Torah is full of, in a certain sense, um, dysfunctionality and growth that happens, um, as individuals emerge from that. And I think, you know, for example, you know, um, Isaac, who's our only uh, monogamous patriarch and in some sense is a very secure uh, attachment style, right? Like love is mentioned for the first time around, you know, his love for Rebecca. And, and yet then there's this dynamic of triangulation and favoritism with his sons, with Jacob and Asau. Are there lessons? Um, are there lessons in Humash for us, Rabbi, as it relates to kind of modern psychology and how to relate in a healthy way with our kids so they can love in a healthy way as adults? A hundred percent of the dynamics in that relationship um, is phenomenal uh, between his two sons, I, uh, Jacob and Esau, um, and the 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 wife, uh, his wife uh, Rebecca. Um, you know, it, it's a you know the, the, the probably the most fundamental relationship that's going on there or dynamic that's going on there is a, is a constant uh, struggle between the oldest child and the second-born child. Uh, it starts off with Cain and Abel, and it continues this battleground or this, this conflict between these two figures, the firstborn and the second one. It goes all the way through to the and Genesis ends with Ephraim and Manasseh, where two brothers finally figure out how to make it work. It's no small thing. We see that in America, that what's the history of the Western world, of European countries trying to figure out how to get along. Queen Victoria marrying off all her daughters to the crown princes of Europe, thinking this is the way we're going to do it. United Nations, this is the way we're going to do it. And and it was a, a little boat leaves Europe and establishes a, a colony in, in America and a different kind of concept of how we're going to actually get along. And uh, it's been a great experiment, but human beings struggle with this dynamic. We keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know, it, it, you know when you read European history, you think, how can these people be so stupid to think this is going to work? And 
it's remarkable since the Second World War. Putin and Zelensky are doing it. They were all back again at the same same place. Rabbi, what's the lesson, what's the lesson that Torah gives us in terms of emerging from childhood trauma successfully? There's a ton of sibling rivalry, lots of childhood trauma uh, in in the Torah with many of our patriarchs and matriarchs. What's the lesson of of and if going from what may be a dysfunctional or traumatic childhood to a secure and stable, you know, kind of uh, attachment style as an adult, as as dictated by Chumash? That's a beautiful question. A hundred percent. See, I, I like to say like this, you know, to figure out how to split an atom, you've got to be a bit of a genius. And to find a, a vaccine for a virus, you have to be a bit of a genius. But human beings, human beings are built in such a way that to find peace takes no genius whatsoever. You just have to start with, it's my fault. If you, wherever conflict you're in, you play a significant, meaningful role in that conflict. It may be that the other guy is more at fault than you, and it's easy to see that. But finding where you're at fault is the beginning of, of having meaningful, peaceful relationships. It's no small thing. And when you're in a, especially in a marriage, where you've got two people absolutely convinced it's the other guy at fault, you've got to be able to stop and take pause and go, maybe my spouse is saying something right. Maybe they see something that I don't see. Mm-hmm. And that, that, takes a, that takes a level. There's a real growth point. If you think about, like, imagine for a minute, minute and it's easy to imagine, is Zelensky from Ukraine and Vladimir Putin from Russia were married to each other. I don't want to get into any sort of strange stuff or anything. I love this. Let's see where this is going. Let's see where this is going. That's, you know, a marriage counselor would have to sit down and say, where, how can you, yeah, you're right. He shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done that. We've got all the accusations down. But where are you responsible for creating this mess? Right. And they both have what to say. And when you can do that, you know, in a relationship, wherever you do that, I just start by saying, I know I've, create, I've made it worse by doing this. When you start by the stuff you've done that contributes to the dysfunction, do we all, you know, justify, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but it's because of you. And, and you know, we all do that stuff. But um, it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah, and actually, in the example yeah, actually, of Jacob and Esau, the competing Esau. twins, you know, Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel as they're, they're born. You're right. He, he, the healing starts when he really wants to reconcile and and with us uh, with Esau and assumes assumes his fault. So uh, I I see where you're going with that. We've got a couple of interesting questions already from listeners on the connection between childhood trauma, uh, childhood challenges, lack of love or too clingy love from parents and how they're loving as adults. We're going to get to those right after the break. We're here with Rabbi Stephen Bars. We're talking about the past that binds us, or does it? How our childhood affects the way we love and attach as adults. We'll be right back. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. They say I love you. 
Cool Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman here with Rabbi Stephen Bars, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're talking about attachment styles as adults, how those are affected by our childhood. Okay, a little primer because we've had a couple of questions from listeners. So there, I mentioned three of them. There are four general attachment styles listed in attachment theory, which you've already heard Rabbi Stephen Bars criticize. There's a lot of valid criticism of it, but just as a baseline, you've got four. If you're a listener, close your eyes for a second, unless you're driving, and think about a grid. And at the top, you've got a high avoidance. At the bottom, you've got low avoidance. On the left, you've got low anxiety. And the top, you've got, and the right, you've got high anxiety. So I think intuitively, where's the worst place for us to be in life and any kind of relationship? High avoidance and high anxiety. Well, that would be the upper right hand side of the quadrant. And that would be this like, what often is called fearful avoidant attachment style or disorganized attachment style, where you like really want love. You, you pine for it. You think it can, it can give you what you need, but at the same time, you're afraid of it and you're pushing it away. And, you know, you're, you're avoiding it at, at this, at all costs while you deeply desire it. I think a lot of people can identify it with that often called disorganized attachment style because it's kind of toggling between two different extremes. Another one that's often thought of as not healthy is avoidant. This is like at the top of the left part of the grill, not so the grid. You're not so anxious necessarily because you don't allow yourself to get exposed to intimacy. You, you keep, you keep everything kind of chilled. Maybe you have casual relationships. Maybe you're just not in relationships at all, but you just avoid intimacy. You don't think relationships are going to give you what you need in life. Often this comes from just disappointment and your parents not being emotionally involved with you. Now, bottom right hand of the grid, right hand side of this grid, be like high anxiety, but low avoidance. You're not avoiding relationships. You're leaning into them. You're seeking love. You might even be love addicted, but you're constantly anxious. Is this person going to leave me? Do they really love me? Do they see me as I want to be seen? That's an anxious attachment style. All these three that we've talked about, fearful, avoidant, or disorganized, avoidant, anxious, these are attachment styles that don't really serve us well as adults. Now, on the bottom left-hand side of the grid is something that's low, low anxiety and low avoidance. You're not avoiding relationships. You're in a healthy relationship. It's often called secure. You, you're not anxious. And this is the part, Rabbi Bars, that in doing the pregame research, I've loved, and I think is more consistent with, if I, as I understand it, your view of attachment styles, and that a secure style is open to love and loving, but not too attached. There's an acknowledgement that in a relationship, both people need some space, 
and you're not anxious about the fact that your partner sometimes does need space, whether intellectual space, maybe going to vacation alone, or just to be able to have some alone time during the day, that you're not too clingy. So you're stable, you know you're loved, that you do love the other, but you give some space. Can you talk to this? Because I think it's something that we don't often get in the pop culture's view of romantic love. It's like the end of those movies, it's always, you know, they seem to go off into the sunset and spend time, 100% of their time together. But that's not really a secure and healthy attachment style, is it? Well, that's a, that's a great point. You know, I, I like to point out that um, the romance movies are the only genre of movie that's 100% fiction. You know, even action movies, that, you know, sometimes the bad guys do lose in real life. But romance movies, they all, you know, Snow White, we've been raised on this craziness, Snow White, Cinderella. You know, Cinderella is just, you know, he, he meets the girl, she's in a coma, she looks incredible. They, they, they walk off. I'm sorry, that's not Cinderella, Snow White. <laughs> he picks the girl because of a shoe size. These, these, these are the stories that we've been raised on. And so you're right that when you raise them, this, you're going to meet the girl and you're going to just fall into it. And we have the songs that describe this. All I need is the, you know, I grew up with, all I need is the air that I breathe is, and to hold you. And that's it. And, you know, it's walking down. And exactly. And, and all you, all you have is just this relationship. And uh, you need nothing else in life. And so when you when you bring raised on this this stuff, you you can't let go of it. You know, it creates a tremendous um, need. More, it's greater than just a simple need. It's um, it's glue. Your fear that I'm going to be alone if I, if he leaves, and, I, and I've got to hold on to it because people don't have a sense of their meaning in life, of their importance, of their of what life is all about, and and connection, and or anything else. So the 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 the, the you know attachment is you're right. Attachment is is a meaningful thing, but there's more to attach to than just another person. But if all you have is is a is a marriage, that's all there is is the other person. Then you can get very fearful. It's like all you have the money. If all you have is the money in your bank account, that's all you have, and you don't feel secure. You get very nervous about that. Right. If someone's listening, if Rabbi, someone's listening and they Rabbi, and are they clearly identifying, are clearly identifying uh, again, I apologize for the echo for the going echo on here on the, on the line here. We'll try to figure Fine. this out. If, if someone's listening and they uh, are consistently falling into a pattern of loving someone who's not available, um, often that's that's indicative of an anxious attachment style within within attachment uh, theory. Um, but getting outside of you know strict attachment theory, if you're in this repetition compulsion pattern and you're 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 constantly going for someone who's unavailable and clinging to that person, maybe even pushing that person away, how do you break that pattern? The, the problem is that the person in the pattern doesn't see the pattern. It's easy to see for everybody else. But they can't see it. And I've counseled people who've been through it multiple, multiple times. They just can't see. They think the next one is it, and all they need is somebody 
they've got their criteria. I, I, whenever I speak in public, I, I often give this story. And um, it's ap- ap- apocryphal, but it's very real. I've experienced it many, many times. And it, it's a very true experience that the children of alcoholics often marry alcoholics themselves. Right. And it's tragic. And I give the example of this girl. She, her father was an alcoholic. It happens with boys and men and women. And so she promises herself she'll never go through what her mother went through. And she, she dates only teetotalers and she tests them all, takes them to bars, puts drink in their thing, and they won't, they, they can't take it. And she marries a complete teetotaler. She's married five years. She wakes up and her husband's an alcoholic. And she doesn't know what happened here. And the, 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 the reason is very obvious. She married somebody who has a proclivity to being an alcoholic. He wasn't an alcoholic. But what happened? The father, who was an alcoholic, is not a completely terrible person just because you're an alcoholic. He has a lot of virtues, too. Those virtues in her father are the things that she, she's used to and, and feels close to and, and, and likes. So she dated that kind of personality. That kind of personality is a proclivity to be an alcoholic. Mm. On but top of that, she how do you to- break the pattern, though? I mean, I understand you're saying first step is to see it, but once you once you see it, maybe through a therapist, maybe by listening to the show, maybe through something a friend has told you with love. Once you see that pattern of being you know, anxious, uh, anxious avoidant, I mean, or, or, or anxious uh, attachment style, where you're you're constantly craving that connection, but you're like maybe pushing people away or being too clingy or going for people that are not available. How do you just put an end to that in your life and, and move forward in a, in a secure or healthy attachment style? Very good. So what you've got to see is that the, in this case, the alcoholic or whatever the issue happens to be. I, I know a, a woman, I never met her husband, he passed away, but she was a clean freak, OCD clean freak. She had maids she was very wealthy, and she would go around the house cleaning up after them. She would take the Q-tip, or she would take the knobs off the stove and take a Q-tip and clean on the inside. Now, I, I never met her husband, but I knew without meeting him what he was like. He was a slob. And, and when I checked it out, that's exactly right. We marry people who are antithetical to what we are. No matter how you dice it, you know, like a cat throw, you throw a cat throw, it's going to land on its feet. But how you guys, that's one day you wake up, you go, how did I ever marry such a person? And everyone goes through this experience. And what you have to see is that thing that my spouse has that drives me crazy is what I need to perfect myself. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so the clean slate needs to marry a slob. In- in now, mystical Judaic terms, I would think of that as like seeing the concealed blessing. Like it's, it's not a revealed blessing. Maybe you're not in a wonderful aspect of your marriage right now, but going deeper and saying, okay, the, the difficult thing that I'm going through right now, how is it a concealed blessing? What, what is it, what is in it that can teach me a lesson to improve? I'm kind of translating, I guess, maybe I'm overlaying it to where I try to see things. That's exactly right. That, that, there's a saying they say in Virginia. I live near Virginia. Right? People who marry for money earn it. <laughs> so you, what it means is that people who marry, you pick the spouse purely because they're, they're wealthy. 
that person who's marrying for money has to be the image of everything that the, the rich spouse wants. And you can't live like that. You know, you just, there's, there's, there's fault. everyone's got a fault. Leonard Cohen has a great quote. He says, there's a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. The break in our relationship is where we find our greatness. There's the other side of the There's coin, the too. I was going to quote, actually, some of the lyrics from the first the song from our first break was by The Weeknd. It's called Heartless. He says, trying to be a better man, but I'm heartless. Never been a wedding plan for the heartless. Low, low life for life because I'm heartless. Said I'm heartless. And the song is about his inability to love. And the other side of the coin of a really unhealthy attachment style is to not be to to just push away and not be interested in love and be that emotionally unavailable person not the one who's going for the emotionally unavailable but the one who is distant and aloof and psychologists often associate this within to be fair attachment theory we'll talk about competing theories at some point before we end the show but within attachment theory a lot of um, psychologists tie this into childhood where you a parent was um was sometimes it's this is counterintuitive or sometimes too um uh kind of vested in to, to kind of making the child more of an adult in the relationship like needing more um uh, emotional connection uh you know depending too much on the child emotionally early and kind of pushing a certain a child a child away later in life like you know relationships don't give me what i want or the opposite of being totally aloof and disconnected in which case you feel as you get to be an adult that you don't um, you can't you can't depend on anyone because anybody you depend on won't be available to you. So if if you have a, you know I'm sure you've had patients like this. If you're a listener right now and you're like yeah you know what I'm in that place like I don't believe in relationships I'm never happy in them I don't believe in my ability to love in a healthy way I'm just removed. To me that seems like a pattern that's harder to get out of, Rabbi, because you're not even in the relationship to start with to be working on. So if you have a listener, if you have compassion around a listener who's, um, right now who qualifies himself in that style, like avoiding relationships, what's, what's the answer to get into a, a healthier place in your relationship with others and in love? Wow. Yeah, that, that's the most difficult. Well, I don't know if it's the most difficult, but it's very difficult. But everybody meets somebody who's going to help them get out of their particular issue. So recognizing that this person's going to help me, but I don't like it, is very powerful, very meaningful. And so the person with that kind of issue does meet people. And I have an old student so she was looking to get married. She was a little older, and um, she kept writing down a list and everything and everything, and, everything and, and she couldn't find the guy. And her lawyer said to her, I'm the guy. Right? And she, so she woke up and realized that he was sitting right in front of her her whole life. Oh, no, her whole life, but a significant portion. And he's always been interested in her, but she could never see it. And they got married, and they had a fantastic marriage. Um, but the the the, the mighty sense of the people that we need. Well, the Uncle Weinberg itself, he used to say, you know, you've met your you've met your shirt, you know, just but they just didn't have a straight enough nose for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
we, we're looking, we've got these dreams of who we're going to be married. Again, because of the media, because of advertising and marketing, and that uh, we, we think we, who we should be attached to. But um, uh, we're looking on the outside and on the inside. I love the love simple the advice simple. around seeing really what's right in, in front of you, that often that love is available to you. I feel like I, I went a good portion of my adult life, Rabbi, in that category of being emotionally unavailable. Uh, either I, I would have relationships, but often really not be vested in them. And, uh, and in, as I, as I look back, and even as I hope I graduated from that, that phase of life, the opportunity for healthy love was in, was in front of me. It may not have been the right moment or the right person, but I, the, the growth was available to me. Um, and so I think your, your advice to, to kind of just, as you said at the outset of the show, be truly present and see that opportunity maybe right in front of you is great advice. We'll be right back with licensed marriage and family therapist, Rabbi Stephen Bars, getting insight from Torah to contemporary attachment style psychology around how our childhood and our relationship with our parents affects the way we love in healthy and sometimes, unfortunately, unhealthy ways as adults. We'll be right back. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. Ooh, we're going to have to get into the lyrics of, of that song uh, after the after the break. Equal Footing has been brought to you for some time now by a wonderful company called DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. DocuVax is findable, searchable on your Android or iPhone and the App Store, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. It's easy to download. You can also find it at DocuVax.com. What is it? It's a digital locker on your phone or your laptop where you can easily store and get validated all of your basic medical information, your immunization records, lab results, x-rays, MRIs, etc. You don't have to try to track down old medical records toggling between different doctors and insurance providers. You own your medical records. You should have them all in one place. They should be easily categorized. You should be able to easily access and validate them. The best part about DocuVax is once you get all these elements in your locker, which is super easy, you just download it in PDF or JPEG or files or whatever. Once you have it there, you can get references to medical specialists without having to go through your general practitioner. Why? Because as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your digital locker. That's 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. You can save money and have an easier relationship with medical provision. Your insurance companies do not own your medical records. Your doctors don't either. They may access them sometimes, but you should have control. DocuVac system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood type, allergies, etc. And it's cheap. Six ninety nine per month, and you get access to these doctors and nurses twenty four by seven, three hundred sixty five days a year, and you have all of your medical records in one place. And when you share your medical records, you do so through a proprietary QR code based system that keeps your data totally secure. So take control of your medical file. 
Sign up for DocuVax at DocuVax.com or in the DocuVax app on your smartphone. Or if you want to call, group discounts are also available for like schools and small businesses. The number is 833-859-1933. That's for group discounts for DocuVax subscriptions. 833-859-1933. I've been caught. All right, we're, I, I said we'd refer to that Adele uh, song, Someone Like You, before the break, Rabbi. Uh, she says, I hate to turn up out of the blue uninvited, but I couldn't stay away. I couldn't fight it. I had hoped that you'd see my face and that you'd be reminded for me it isn't over. Never mind. I'll find someone like you. Don't forget me, I beg. I mean, this is definitely an anxious attachment style. Uh, she's you know, needing that love. It's obviously unavailable. To her. And the part that I thought was interesting connected to our discussion on re- how we repeat these behaviors again and again is her saying, never mind, I'll find someone like you. She's basically saying, I'm in this unhealthy relationship. You know what? It's not working. I'm going to go find another person and have an unhealthy relationship. It's the same. <laughs> so this is makes its way through what we read, what we listen to. Um, and like you said earlier, it's like these these pop images, these romantic movies and, and, and songs or whatever, it, it, it isn't a blueprint to follow for a healthy, loving relationship as an adult, is it? It's very interesting. I was listening to the, to the lyrics of the song as well. And um, if you listen to Shir Hashirim, you'll see echoes of those words in Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. And the Talmud says that all the books of the Bible are holy. But the Song of Songs is the holy of the holies. And it's a song, it's, a, it's came in by King Solomon, and it's a song between the love between a man and a woman, and a woman and a man. And it represents in this, the, love, the greatest love you can have in this world, which we all want. Love is the greatest emotion to experience. And we're all seeking it. Some people have given up. But we all want that great experience. And the truth is that it's an ultimate experience with God, that you can have a taste of it in this world. And people travel all over the world seeking it. It's, uh, we intuitively know it's available. And, and uh, you know, you just, the frustration people have because they're going about it in very unhealthy ways. You know, whether it's a commentator who's firmly rooted within attachment theory or not, there's a common thread amongst all of the um, psychologists that I, that I read in the pregame research that focus on attachment styles, that the relationship has to be solid and healthy with yourself first. I think that's part of what you're, you're getting at. And then you can't expect to be solved, uh, to be completed in a certain way by your beshert as much as that is a completion cycle in our lives, we have to do the work to be in a steady and strong place to then be that for a partner as well. Rabbi, I want to read, uh, as I prom- there are some interesting uh, listener comments. Uh, Dennis, uh, who is a psychologist who's uh, traveling, but is in, in, uh, in Raleigh uh, at the moment, um, basically says this is a bunch of hawk. The, that these imprints are not something that is permanent in your life just because you encountered in the first few years of life, that in fact your environment is much more predictive. And he says some more things. And I, I do want to acknowledge while we're talking about attachment style theory, 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, Rabbi. You have said at the outset of the show that you think there's a lot of flaws in that theory. And, uh, you know, Jerome Kagan, who's considered one of the most eminent psychologists of the 20th century, um, has spent a lot of his career criticizing attachment theory and saying, really, what's most predictive of how you have relationships in love relationships and romantic relationships as adult is not as much, and a predictor as well, by the way, of depression, anxiety, addiction, et cetera, it's not so much the imprint that you had as a child from your parents, but the social class in which you were raised. Um, what's your view, Rabbi, to Dennis's comment? Where, where do the, where do you think the imprints are most important as it relates to adult attachment? Yeah, I think he's making a very good point. Um, I, 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 I think, I think we get we get some input from all, all places. The 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 the. the, the but it's difficult for people to do. What people by necessity have to do is to look over their lives and, and discern which was the healthy, what what kind of emotional style that I learned from my family, from my community, from media, from society, is going to improve my life. That's what you, a person really needs to be able to do. It's very hard to be abstract like that. But that's how we're going to progress. You know, I grew up in, I lived on three different continents. I grew up in England. I've lived in America for 30 years. And I lived in the Middle East for nine years. And you see how different cultures have relationships. I'll tell you this incredible story. I was teaching a class once, and an Indian couple was sitting in the class. And afterwards, they said, can, I leave, can you give, give some counsel? Okay. So they sit down. and. I said, what's the problem? And it's a, it's a very, I was on the spot. I, I had to go that process. It's a terrible way to, to engage, but nevertheless, I, I didn't have any other way of doing it. So the woman listed, the wife listed a whole bunch of things that was wrong with the, the marriage. He never takes me out for dinner. He doesn't compliment me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the comments just got his goat. And he was like really mad. And he stood up and he said, what do you mean I don't take you out for dinner? Last Wednesday, we went out for dinner. <laughs> and she turned and said to him, that's only because you beat me that day. Okay. I nearly fell off my chair. Yeah. And the reason I was so shocked was mm-hmm. beating her, which was seemingly a regular occurrence in their relationship, was not one of the things she complained about. Oh, wow. So we all grow up in a culture that there are things in that culture that is very difficult to be able to see as not constructive to the relationship. We don't want that kind of marriage. And so my teacher, Rabbi Weinberg, used to say this all the time, you've got to be able to get become objective in your, in your, you know, your society, what you've been taught. Well, going back to one of, the, one of the themes that's made its way through this show is, is to try to, is to, instead of obsessing on the pathological or dysfunction, to, to learn from it. And, uh, Richard is a listener in, in, in Texas, uh, writes, I think, something that, 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 that goes to this point. He says, I can safely say, that the dysfunctionality of my parents' relationship in raising me has served as a great guide to me as an adult of what not to do in my own marriage. For as a child, I remember how bad it was for everyone. My marriage today, although not perfect, 
has therefore been a step forward and much happier and has lasted so far 30, so far 35 years. So bravo to, to, to that of taking, I feel that too, by the way, of taking, instead of like blaming my mom, for example, like taking some of the things that didn't work for me that I don't want to do now as a father and being, and therefore having more awareness and more sensitivity. And sometimes these dysfunctions we have as a child can be, a, it can be great, can be a guide, a really clear and present, uh, a w- cause clear and present awareness for us of what not to do as a parent and as an adult. There's an even higher level, I think, as Eric just wrote that in, is that is to thank your parents for showing you the way, <laughs> even in that dysfunctional way. And I just saw this great quote from Tony Robbins. He said, I, who apparently had an abusive childhood. And he says, I, I didn't get the mother I wanted, but if I hadn't have had the mother I had, I would never become the man I did. Yeah. Amen. That's a great you way. Know, it, a great awareness. That's a great way to... Right. So you, if you're bitter at your parents... For the, and, and so many people who grow up in what we would so call a perfect childhood of loving parents, etc., et grow up to be the most, the most selfish, narcissistic people you can imagine. Right. Well, that's Sometimes interesting. That, that's part of the lesson that, that also comes out of Torah. I mean, Isaac seems to have a great secure attachment style. Um, his children, his children <laughs> don't seem to. Exactly. Uh, Rabbi, exactly. Before, we, before we break, I want to acknowledge, I think, an important out-of-the-box uh, kind of a perspective on all this. We've had several listeners talk about that they were missing the point because attachment itself is the problem. Uh, it reminds me of the, the Simone Weil quote, attachment is the great fabricator of illusions. Uh, you can only, reality can only be obtained if you're detached. And so we've been talking about healthy attachment styles. Is there an argument here perhaps at a deeper level that, that we must, it's to some extent, not be so attached to other human beings and understand that there's a there's a higher level of attachment to God that is outside of the human realm. I know we've, we've only got a minute left, but I do want to acknowledge that there, there's a there's a frame of reference issue. I hold one of the great misunderstandings of the Bible is where the Torah says it's not good for man to be alone, and everybody I would say everybody many most people read it. It is not good for man to be alone from a woman. But that's not what it means at all. Mm. It's not good for man to be alone from God. That's a great attachment. I think that's a great note to end on. (laughs) Rabbi, thank you for joining us again, talking. You always uh, treat so lightly, bravely, and beautifully topics that often involve great pain and suffering. So. Uh, I hope that some folks were consoled or at least feel like there was some insight into their relationship patterns in the show. Rabbi Stephen Bars, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Don. Great being here. Love, love.